0: as a teacher, not only did I want to focus on how to use your mind to do good for the world, because for me, that is loving the Lord with all my mind. It is also how to serve the students and listen to them and teach them how to still their own minds and actually observe around them what kinds of things they could do to change the world. I had a teacher named Mr. Saar, a chemistry teacher who Liked to talk about this this verse in Mark. So when I started chemistry, I thought, oh, no, this is going to be bad. And Mr. Saar stopped me and said, no, no, this will be fine. You need to still your mind and just think this through. And I've always remembered the kinds of things uh, that he talked about with the mind. He was always encouraging of girls in science and i really felt encouraged by him and as i moved on and became an educator myself i thought i need to do some of the things that mr saar did for me there's so much white noise in the world with all kinds of competing challenges whether it be the news or social media or whatever it might be causing us anxiety and all kinds of emotions sometimes it's hard to love the Lord with all of our minds when our minds are so filled with competing messages or stresses and strains or emotions so loving the Lord with all my mind means also teaching students how to silence the noise and listen to the still small voice that we hear from God as an administrator loving the Lord with all my mind means to support the teachers and the staff who are now delivering the classes to students that I used to when I was a teacher in the classroom. And reminding them to help students think about how they're using their minds for the future to live out God's grace in the world.
1: I wanna invite you to join me in the reading of God's word. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he was and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, which command is first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, He, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love the Lord your, God, your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. The word of God. Praise you may be seated. If you are visiting us here today, whether it be in person or online, we want to welcome you and share with you the journey in which we have been taking over the last few weeks. The last few weeks, we have started this sermon series entitled, The Greatest, which has taken a look at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Throughout this time, Pastor Raywin has been talking us and going through what it means to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Today, we get the idea of exploring what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Over the last few months of being here at La Sierra, I have been incredibly grateful and thankful for the community in which I have entered into. I am thankful for the warm smiles and the embraces that so many of you have given me, and I'm thankful to be part of this community. There are so many unknowns when you enter into a new community. Maybe you yourself have moved to a new community recently here at La Sierra, or maybe in the past you've entered into an unknown space and where you don't know what to expect. Entering into the unknown is terrifying because sometimes you bring your fears and anxieties, but you also bring some baggage maybe. But the best thing about entering into the unknown is that you can build relationships, you can cast visions, you can see moments where God works not only in your life, but in the larger community as well. As I have gotten to know many of you, I've also gotten to know our incredible, incredible pastoral team. I've been thankful for each and every single one of them as they've allowed space for me to communicate and to share my heart. During this week in staff meeting, we opened up with a time to share what was on our heart, what was on our minds, and among a few other things in which I expressed, one of the things that I shared with Joy to the Pastoral team is that I checked off one of the scariest things that I had to do yet here in California. Any guesses what that might be? Um go to the DMV. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm guessing from the laugh in which you had, you yourself may fear the DMV in which I do, but the DMV is one of the scariest places on earth in which I avoid at all cost. If you say, I need to go to the DMV, I will milk that so long. In fact, that's why I needed to go to the DMV. You see, because this is being filmed, I'm gonna say allegedly, um, but I've had allegedly some tags that have been expired for a little bit. And so uh, moving here to California, you not only have to get your car registered, but you also have to get new plates and new tags, which I'm very thankful for. But one thing that I did not expect is that you have to get a new driver's license. Now I knew that, don't, don't say I'm silly, like I know I needed a new driver's license. I know I needed a California state driver's license. I knew that, that wasn't what shook me to my core. What scared me to my core was that I didn't know you had to take the driver's, the knowledge test in order to receive that. You see, I'm going to tell you here that I have lived in many different places over the course of my ministry in college, three states to be exact. And every Every time I've moved to that state, I've looked up the laws and procedures, and each of them said that you've had to take the knowledge test in order to receive that license. Now, I'll tell you in a bit of why I don't like that test, but the reason why I thought that California didn't have to do that or didn't require it, I thought you could just give them your out-of-state license, they would give you a California license, is because when I'm driving on the road, it seems like nobody follows rules. So I was like, there's no test because there are none. (laughs) Blinkers, I don't know. What is that? I have no idea. Swerving in and out, normal. A normal Tuesday. Traffic, no problem. So why was I so shocked when I found myself, why was I so scared when I found myself at the window of the DMV, And I handed the lady all of my stuff. She did all the things. We were good to go. She handed it back to me, and she said, I hope you have a great day. I said, phew, I am over with. It has been a long three hours here. And then she said, you can go over to window 13. I said, excuse me? She said, window 13 is where you're going to take the knowledge test. The knowledge test? She said, yeah, good luck. (laughs) Well, I will need it. Thank you. Now, the reason why I needed it is that something I'm going to be very transparent with, something I didn't even tell the pastors this week, okay? Something that is very close to my heart that I haven't told a lot of people, and so I am sharing my heart and soul and mind with you today in hopes that you will continue to love me and care for me. You see, the knowledge test was a very scary thing when I was a teenager. I'm all, like most of you guys, when it came to getting my driver's license, it was top priority. All of my friends were driving, I lived a little outside of the city, and so going to school and going to visit friends, I needed a car. Public transportation was all right, but a car was even better. And so as soon as I turned the age in which I needed to, to take that knowledge test, I had studied in months and months of preparation. I was so excited to get my permit and to be on the wide open road of Oregon. However, I went into the DMV that day. Again, I had studied for months. I had taken online tests, I had studied the book, I made flashcards, I'm very type A, so I made flashcards, color coded them and everything. And I walked into that DMV confident that I was going to pass that test. However, I failed. It was not good, not good at all. And I walked out of that DMV feeling like a failure. Now you may say, hey, Pastor Elizabeth, here's the thing. Everyone fails, it's okay. And I would agree with you, yes, everyone fails. And if you have failed your knowledge test, it's all right. But let me tell you further why it's all right. Because if you fail it once, it's okay. If you continue to fail it twice, like I did, totally okay. You see, the second time after I went back a couple of weeks later, I was even more anxious. I was even more fearful. The thoughts that were going through my mind were even scarier. And as I walked out of that DMV and got in the car, I began to cry, telling myself and my parents that I was a failure and that they would have to drive me around for the rest of my life. However, after a few more weeks, my parents encouraged me to go back. They said, you can do it. But I continued to tell myself that I was a failure, and I could not. So over the course of the next three years three years, um, I continued to gather the confidence and strength to go back to the DMV. Now, this is where we continue to express that this is a safe space. As I tell you, I failed the knowledge test five times. Yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. I don't want you to think that that's a reflection of my driving, though because here's the thing i dr- i passed the driver's test like 100% 99% or something like that it was great it's just the knowledge test was so hard for me so when i found myself in front of window 13 being given a clipboard the fear came back to me here i was a grown adult trying to take a driver's test, thinking the worst case scenario that they were gonna take my driver's license and that I'd have to walk from Loma Linda to La Sierra for church every day. I didn't know what was the deal. I didn't know what was gonna be happening, the fear. But as I sat down on that chair with the clipboard and the test a few weeks ago, I told myself that this would be different. Instead of filling my mind with negative thoughts, I told myself, you got this, you can do it, believe in yourself. And I sat there and said a prayer of God for peace. So I took the test and I watched as multiple people went up to the window and also failed. My heart went out to them. And I handed the lady the test and she said, hey, it's gonna be a few moments till you get the results. So I sat down back in my chair and I began to pray more. I also remember hearing earlier that morning on TikTok something called lucky girl syndrome. Um, It's pretty much this phrase in which you tell yourself to keep your mind in a positive mindset. And so as I sat there and prayed, I also recited the phrase that I heard on TikTok, valuable resource, I am lucky and everything works out for me. I am lucky, everything works out for me. The lady called my name and I went up there and she handed me the clipboard She didn't say a word in which then I just assumed that I had failed. And she said, is this the correct address in which we can send your license? I said, I passed? (laughs) She said, yeah, of course. Like it was no big deal, like I had never failed it five other times. (laughs) She said, yeah, we'll send it to that address, no problem. I walked out of the DMV like I had just conquered the world. My mind was in such an excited space because instead of telling myself that I was a failure, I told myself that I believed in who I was and that I could do it. You see, when I was a teenager, my mind was so focused on the fear of failing. And not only that, but the internal dialogue in which I had told myself about failure as well. I spoke unkind words to myself not only in my mind, but also in my actions, something that I think many of us can sometimes relate to. However, this week, I was reminded that as we feed our brains, we also feed our actions. As we feed our brains, we also feed our actions. And I'm not just talking about literal food in which we eat, because I'm sure you're getting a little hungry here, but I'm talking about in the words in which we tell ourselves externally and internally. In fact, the Forbes article that I read this week entitled, This is How Our Thoughts Become Our Reality, says, your thoughts are a catalyst for self-continued cycles, What you think directly influences how you feel and behave. If you think you're a failure, you'll feel like a failure, and then you'll act like a failure, which will then reinforce your belief that you must be a failure. As we feed our brain, our brain feeds our actions. The mind is such a fascinating, complex organ that was created in our body. I've read so many things this week that have left me in awe of how our body was created and how our mind works, not only through the process in which we grow, but I'm also in awe over the fact of what happens to our minds in a day-to-day process. You see, our brain determines every aspect of our life. And without our brain, there is no self-awareness. There is no awareness of the world around us. Our brain is a three-pound universe that processes, get this, 70,000 thoughts a day using 100 billion neutrons that connect with over 500 trillion points and travel at 300 speeds and miles an hour. The signs, the signals that that travels throughout our brain form the basis of memories, thoughts, and feelings. The mind is a wild and fascinating place. And yet this is what Jesus is speaking about when he sits in front of eager ears that are waiting to hear what this greatest commandment is. Verse 29, Jesus says... The first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. You see, when we read these verses combined with the facts in which we just heard about the mind, it's no wonder why Jesus is using the mind as a place for us to love the Lord our God with. The mind, the heart, the soul, the strength. And as we just heard, the brain controls over 70,000 thoughts a day. And so even though Jesus didn't have Google or Harvard studies in front of him, in that moment, he still was consciously aware of the complex significance of the created human mind centuries before we could even scratch the surface of understanding what our mind does Jesus understands the weight and significance of this organ and states we ought to love the Lord our God with all of it what is it what does it mean Let me tell you, I'm a very visual learner, and so as I read these verses, I like to think of what was happening in not only the expressions, but also the minds of those who questioned Jesus, what I would do to see and be in their minds in that very moment as they asked Jesus and questioned him as they probably sat long and hard thinking in their own minds how they would suddenly get and trick Jesus into trapping him they were suddenly stuck in the statement as soon as Jesus began that challenged their large egos and thinking minds and so today as we journey through this text of taking a look at what it means to love the lord with our god with all of our mind i want you to take a little bit of an odd approach That as we talk about these things, I want you to place yourselves in the feet and minds of those who question Jesus. As you stand there in front of the Messiah, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? How is your courage? What thoughts are fluttering through your mind as Jesus begins to speak these words of the greatest command? What is the internal monologue in which you are telling yourself in that very moment? And are you already prepared in your mind to react? As I thought about myself and the minds of those who questioned Jesus, two things came to mind right away. The first one was a feeling of being challenged. Now, I think, I don't know if I can speak for you, but for me, the feeling of being challenged is not a fun one, right? Not a fun one when somebody challenges our thoughts, when somebody challenges our actions, when somebody challenges the way we do things because it's comfortable and traditional to us. We don't like to be challenged. It's not comfortable. It's not exciting or happy. And yet that's the feeling in which I felt when I placed myself in their feet, in their shoes. There's nothing more painful than being challenged. However, there is something maybe just a smidge more painful of being challenged by a child. Now, sometimes I'm maybe this is just telling you a little bit about who I am. But when a kid says you can't do that, oh man, I just want to prove them wrong. I say I can do that. I can do that. And listen, my cousin's son is the biggest. He he just cheers me on with this. As soon as I get to his house, he usually says, hey, Lizzie. And I say, what? And he goes, I bet you can't beat me at Uno. (laughs) Oh, game on, buddy, game on. You say, I can't do that. You're challenging me that I can't do that. I will show you who can play Uno. You see, the last time I visited him, I had barely gotten in the car at the airport and I could, was buckling up and I could hear him in the back seat saying, hey Lizzie, I'm gonna beat you at UNO. All right, as soon as we got home, I had literally only been in Oregon for less than an hour and I was on the floor playing UNO. Now the most important thing about UNO is it's probably a really controversial game because everybody comes to the game with their own rules and their own ideas and their own thoughts, right? So you have to sit down and you have to talk about, before you start the game, what those rules are. You have to agree and be on the same page with them. You have to say, are we stacking or are we not? Can we stack fours or can we just stack twos? Do we draw until we get the same color or do we draw until we get the same number? among many other rules, in which I'm sure you have in your homes as well. However, no matter how many times we talk about rules, they somehow start to change in the game when he starts to lose. Funny how that works, huh? You see, one time when I was visiting him, as we were sitting on the floor, we talked about the rules and we were all okay, and then we began to play. I suddenly, found myself winning the first round. Now, I didn't want to be shocked. I'm trying to be kind to this seven-year-old. I said, you know what? Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. It's okay. He goes, I'm going to beat you the next time. I said, okay, please do. And that's exactly what he did. He won the second round, and then we kept going. He said, I'm going to beat you again. I said, challenge on, let's go. And then I won the third round. And then we played again, and I won the fourth round. And then we played again, and I won the fifth round. And you're probably thinking, I'm a horrible person at this point. And I did feel, start to feel a little bit bad. And as soon as I had finished the, we had finished the fifth round, and I had won quite a bit consecutively, the game began again, and the rules started to change. You see, he had, we had agreed that we could stack draw fours. And he put a draw four down, really excited to get me, but little did he know, I also had a draw four. And so when he put his draw four down, I put my draw four down, which meant he had to draw eight. That was not good, because he already had a whole stack of cards in his hand. (laughs) And so he looked at me, he goes, no, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I mean, listen, listen, buddy, we talked about how these are the rules. He goes, no, you can't do that. And suddenly the rules were changed. And so I understood that he was feeling frustrated and a little bit anxious at this point. So we put the cards down and I said, hey, how are you feeling? He goes, I don't like losing. I said, well, nobody does. <laughs> nobody does. I mean, that's why I have been keep winning. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I am the children family pastor. I encourage. Uh, um, but I said, It's okay to understand that sometimes when we're challenged, it's okay to have emotion that brings us up. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. But our reaction in that challenge is the most important thing. And so after a while, we took a break and we came back to the game and he said, okay, I'm going to finish this game and I'm going to beat you. And you know what? He did. He did. He won that game. But here's the point that I'm trying to say. Listening and in the midst of a challenge is a really, really difficult thing. Showing kindness and respect in the midst of being challenged is a really difficult thing. He was challenged, and what made the challenge even worse is the fact that he was losing. And as soon as I confronted him kindly, he, uh, he began and to show a little more understanding of what was happening. As Jesus spoke to those who were challenging him, his reaction was kind in challenging them back. Not only the way in which he spoke, but also in the words that he said. It can be difficult in our minds when we are challenged. An article in the New York Times by Lisa Barrett says, in the United States, we are obsessed with happiness. We are obsessed with happiness, but some people, as they get older, researchers show they cultivate happiness by avoiding unpleasant situations. This is sometimes a good idea when we avoid a rude neighbor, but if people consistently sidestep sa- side the discomfort of mental effect or physical exertion, this restraint can be determined to be, uh, to the brain, to be... sorry, restrained, can be uh, detrimental to the brain, and the brain tissue can thin. What this article is saying is that it's important for us as human beings to be challenged. Even though it's uncomfortable, even though it, it leaves us shocked and frustrated and angered, it's important for us and necessary for us to be challenged, But that's the scientific side of it, right? The emotional side of being challenged is so much more complex. Because in this moment, you're feeling emotions of frustration and anger and maybe vulnerability and uncomfortability. And maybe you can relate to this because you yourself have been challenged. Maybe in the actions in which you've taken, the words in which you've spoken. Maybe you've been challenged in your theological beliefs or your political beliefs. And so as I close my eyes and imagine what the scribes' minds are thinking in this moment, as they hear Jesus speak back to them, I start to feel all the emotions in which I imagine they were feeling, feeling emotions of frustration and anger and a bit of vulnerability as everyone is looking at them as they are a failure. Yet the most important thing about this feeling in their minds and in their thinking as they were challenged is that Jesus still shows respect to them of those who were challenging him. In fact, Jesus states and demonstrates that they, were, uh, that they will, and what we will study a little bit later, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You see, Jesus simply states the answer that we could never have crossed the minds of the scribes and continues to carry on with no need of further discussion or question. As I continue to think of what the minds of the people who challenged Jesus look like, I also thought of one other thing. I also thought of how hard it is for us, so much harder for our minds to comprehend an intellectual awareness and an emotional awareness, Because we can prove intellectual knowledge, right? We can understand intellectual knowledge with tests and quizzes and degrees and books. But when it comes to measuring emotional awareness and knowledge, those comparisons can be a lot trickier. And I think that's when we get stuck in our churches sometimes. That's what really challenges us as a community is that we think it's one or the other. It's either intellectual knowledge or emotional knowledge. We can't coexist sometimes at the same time. The intellectual knowledge and emotional knowledge becomes, uh, when they are combined, becomes a living space that is so complex and challenging for us to do not only as individuals but also as a corporate community. However, we must understand that it is in order for us to live fully fully and love the Lord our God with all of our mind, we must have both. Real love is not an involuntary thing. It is something that we do purposely, not only in our minds, but in our emotions as we grow in the knowledge and the person of who we are loving. Nothing can be in the heart that is is first in the mind nothing can be in the heart that is not first in the mind if a person doesn't move forward move in intellectual awareness of God and thinking about God to an emotional embrace they have not loved with all of their mind This quote is stating that these two things work in tandem together. They work in collaboration and full embrace of, of expressing the love of God with all of our mind. My friends, the verse that Jesus, the words that Jesus are saying, the gravity of the command in which he is speaking is so impactful. Because these words are drawing us out of a place of contentment. They're drawing us out of a place of comfortability. They're drawing us to a place of vulnerability. And through that, we are challenged not only in the actions in which we take, but in the words that we externally speak. We're challenged in the way that we look closer at the things in which we internally dialogue with ourselves and what our subconscious tells us. Understanding the Savior stepped foot on this earth to make a point showing that these two things, intellectual and emotional things, can combine. Jesus showed us that all throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 8, the woman called an adultery. He not only showed this intellectual knowledge, but showed emotional awareness of those who were around him. He said, he who is without sin must cast the first stone. And he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Among many others in stories in the Bible, we see that Jesus continues to grasp on what it means to love the Lord your God with not only your heart, your soul, and your mind. And my friends, Jesus is calling us out. He's calling us out of contentment. He's calling us out of comfortability. He's calling us out of vulnerability and for us to think consciously about everything we say and do. Made the Mind of Christ My Savior, was written by Kate Winkelson, who was born on August 27 of 1859 in England. She married Frederick Winkleson uh, in 1891, who was a local cashier. The hymn in which Kate wrote um, was centered in the late 1800s and early 1900s where where she lived was a designated site for many meetings that promoted a more devotion to Christ of the Church of England. Through years, several uh, movements came, had inspired this push to love the Lord your God with your whole being, everything that was around you, drawing you closer to God. This hymn that Kate wrote during this time in 1913 appeared as a poem in the newspaper. The text and tune were first published together in 1925 in the Golden Bells hymnal, and Kate died three years later in London. This hymn immediately starts from the perspective foreign to much of Christianity today Not give your heart, not give me the heart of Christ. Not give me the eyes of Christ, nor give me the hands of Christ. No, this petition of this hymn says, God, give me the mind of Christ. This hymn was based on Philippians 2, verse 5, which says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the mind of Christ be in me. Let God's love help me be a little more like him. The words of the hymn read, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day, by his love and power helping all I do and say. May the peace of God my Father help my life in everything, that I may may be calm to comfort, sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, Him exalting, self-abiding, His love in everything. May we as a community at La Sierra take an intentional effort of making sure that our job as neighbors, as friends, as community members, interacting with people at the grocery store and at school, in, in all of the aspects in which we have in our life, may it be an intentional job for us as a community, to not only love the Lord our God with our mind and our soul, but being intentional about in the actions of what we take in our mind and the words in which we say. May we draw closer to Christ. May we have the mind of Christ our Savior living in us from day to day.